Hello, this is Bayo Fadjuba. We're so excited that you are joining us today. If you're a part of our DCH family, whether in person or online, we would love to connect with you. Please find us on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, or you can even join us on our website at www.dch.church. We can also get you plugged in via the Church Center app where you can find our connect groups, upcoming events, as well as given options if you would like to help us spread the gospel of Jesus everywhere. I hope this word today blesses you, encourages you, and inspires you to greatness. Let's get started. marks of theology, Trinity, Christology, were defended by African leaders, Cyprian, Augustine of Hippo, they gave us the doctrines of the church. They defended a lot of the heresies that were going to come into the church. And this is all across North Africa. And to see what Pastor Adeboye has done, Daddy Gio, to many of us around the world, I think it's now millions of churches in all, all the continents around the world. It is remarkable. And we are certainly blessed to live in his times. And if you love and celebrate our Daddy Gio, please go ahead and acknowledge him. Today we would not be here if it wasn't for the grace of God upon his life and ministry. And certainly also our North American director. Uh, I think his name is now Pastor James Fidel. 
Adele. So if I is gone, uh, blessed be God. Please honor both of them today. And it's great to see all of you. Somehow, in, in the next few moments of my, my, my um, acknowledgments, we were able to, to make it here. I had to be in at uh, the wedding of a spiritual son of mine, Mike uh, Fadu. His parents have been in our church for about 23, 24 years, and I was needed to officiate there. And so I was with POTUS number 45, trying to build a bridge so that our ethnicity can be included as an important demographic in the considerations of that aspect of the Republican Party. I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm on God's side. And we represent 25%, I am told, I haven't fact-checked that, of the uh, voting demographic in the United States. Nigerians in America are now a very powerful de uh, demographic in the country. And part of my role there is to alert them to it uh, as an ambassador for you into that space. It was a delightful moment to share that time with them. And I think uh, Mikey identifies as a Nigerian of Lebanese and French uh, ancestry. It was just great to be there. But if you have a Bible, if you have one, then you have my permission to greet about four people around you. Tell them, welcome to DCH. <laughs> and there's a burning bush. Don't sit yet. Don't sit yet. There's a burning bush here. There's a burning bush here. And I, I have no claims to being the burning bush. But the thing about a burning bush is time is suspended in order for a bush to burn. Sorry, I said that wrongly. Time is suspended in order for a bush to burn and be consumed. But when it burns and isn't consumed, it's because it's not in time. It's in eternity. Have you figured it out? I'm sure you'll get it soon. All right, if you have a Bible, please take it and turn with me to Luke's Gospel, the 13th chapter and the 10th verse. My choice of translation is the King James Version today, and I'll pick up my reading at the 10th verse, and we'll probably read to the 16th verse. Bring you greetings from my lovely wife. Uh, she loved Mar-a-Lago so much, she said, I'm staying back for a couple of days. And I do want my Isiru to taste nice when we get back to Lagos. So I obliged her. But she sends her love and greetings to you all. Luke's Gospel, the 10th, the 13th chapter, beginning to read at the 10th verse. Luke writes, I read. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together, doubled over, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And the Passion Translation says she overflowed with glorious praise to God. The King James says, and she glorified or and glorified God. 
And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, O thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound these 18 years, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said all these things, all his adversities were ashamed and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done. My concern is with the 12th and 13th verses and I reread and when Jesus saw her he called her to him and said unto her woman you are present tense loosed past tense in continuum from your infirmity and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Help me look at three or four people and tell them, get your mind out of the box. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The traps of life owed to our circumstance, the definition of circumstance, uh, by other people upon our lives can trap our thinking in a everlasting warp. And once our thinking is trapped, our lives, our economies, and much about us remains in that trap. And so we end up living far beneath our privilege because we often are unaware of who we are, what we are, and we suffer an identity crisis. And I want you to just address your neighbor this morning very quickly and say, it's good to sit, be seated with you, your excellency. And if you prefer, your royal majesty, your royal highness. Because we are royalty, we are a governing royalty, and that's who we are. As he is, so are we in this world. One of the things that transformed America in her nascent years of building the nation into what it has become today, and because we are likely to take America's exceptionalism for granted, we must understand it didn't just drop out of the sky. It was deliberate, it was intentional, both by God and those who downloaded his attitude and his mindset to that generation. And that generation started to forge a principle, a value judgment called American exceptionalism. And exceptionalism takes things beyond the excellent into another dimension where if you have exceptionalism, there isn't anything you can't fix. So that the things that are impossible with men they become possible with exceptional God-sent human beings. And I believe that many of those kind of people are sitting in the room today. And sometimes God forms a cluster of those kind of personalities in one house exactly like the Dominion Chapel in Houston. So that many things happen to fellows who are thrown in the fire except for people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Little boys don't go to battle and win wars that generals are afraid to take on, except David's. Little boys who were the scuff and the scrum of a battle in the household of a domestic uh, dysfunction in the house of uh, Jacob don't end up becoming the most powerful personalities in the whole world from a background of nowhere except Joseph. 
And likewise, I think, I could be wrong, but we'll find out. There are, there's an exceptional person possibly sitting beside you today. And if you think you are that person, nudge your neighbor with an elbow and say, watch out. I think he's talking about me right now. And often exceptional people don't discover their exceptionalism until they have an encounter with God. And I think that God is about to give you an encounter this Sunday morning. An encounter that's going to change your mentality so that your mentality can change your life and how you see your role and your reason for being here on the planet. Please can I get a witness from somebody? Make me feel at home. And so uh, one of the first things I want to say is that uh, the opinions of human beings do not really matter as it concerns God making a way for your destiny, his pre-plan for your life to happen. Can I get a witness, please? That means you may go through circumstances and situations that cause people to invoke a definition on what can happen in your life and what cannot happen, what you can be and you cannot be. But I want to share something with you today. God does not base what he is going to do in your life on the opinions of any single human being or any cluster of human beings or what man may think. Hallelujah to God. That means you are not at the mercy of men. The whole world can be against you but if God is for you friend whatever he has on his mind for you can happen and it just takes a transformation in your mentality to make it happen that's why working with God walking with God worshiping God being connected with his thought that's the incarnate Christ and your thought is one of the most important things that you must have so that you think on his level you think how he thinks and when he sent his thought he didn't just send words via prophets his thought became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we've is the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John writes in his opening chapter and says, in the beginning was the thought. The thought was with God. The thought was God. There was not anything that was made except it was made by the thought. And in the thought there was life and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, and then the thought became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Not fact, but truth. Hallelujah. And so what I'm trying to tell you is, friends, the opinions of other people do not determine whether or not God can or will bless you. And concerning the blessing of God, it's not going to happen in your life, friend. It happened before he founded the heavens and the earth. And it was manifestly made available to you through the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's brow nearly 2,000 years ago. And God is big enough, therefore, to bless you all by him himself. He needs no assistance. He needs no helpers. He can literally just point at you from heaven and from the invisible realm of his armies. He can do whatever he has purposed and chosen to do. That means never write yourself off and never let anybody ever write you off. Regardless of what they did to you or what you did to yourself, what mistakes you made or what mistakes you didn't make, I want to announce this long and strong today that your failure is never final. Oh, that sounds like they're just 30 believers in DCH today. I said your failure is never final unless you allow the opinions of people and discard the opinion of God concerning you, somebody. Give me a witness. And so Isaiah 26 and verse 3, the prophet writes for God and tells us that 
God gives him perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon God because he trusts in him. And Isaiah is informing us here that in God's view, he never wants your mind to be troubled. He never wants you to be full of anxiety. He never wants you to be perplexed in your thinking and so that it now affects your emotions in a convoluted way that causes you to panic. And once you start panicking, your mind goes into a vortex of, of degradation, of diminishment, of, of unbelief, uh, a place of fear and trepidation, a place of huge anxiety that at night you, you're going through anxiety attacks, panic attacks, and you wake up and your spouse watches you breathing with, with the fear that I'm, I'm about to die. Friend, that is not a sound mind. That is not the mind of Christ. That's not how God wants you thinking at any time in your life. And so he tells us in the words of one Paul of Tarsus, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and what? A sound mind. Friends, that means that if you do have a sound mind, it means you have a mind that is free from anxiety. It's free from panic. It's free from fear. It's a mind that, that imbibes the knowledge that God's power is on your behalf, that God's disposition is for you, not against you. It has a mind that says that all things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose, so that if they don't like you, it's good. If they like you, it's still good. If they hate you, it's good. If they don't hate you, it's still good. If you had a real bad problem that looks like you ain't going to make it to next week, it's still good. If all hell broke loose and the hounds and hordes of darkness sailed you on every side, it is still good. So the good, bad, and ugly are always on your side because God is for you and he's the director of his orchestra. And he can take dissonant sounds, combine them with consonant sounds, and create a symphony of beauty and bliss so that you do go through your valleys but valleys are just the in-between between two mountain tops are you here somebody if you don't believe it please sit pretty act important and be religious but if you are a believer i want you to tell a neighbor i don't know about you but it's all working together for my good I had some trouble during COVID. I had some haters on my job. I had some competition in my industry. I had some bad downtakes in my economy because of the COVID dripping and the COVID trouble. But friend, is all working together. Do you not know that COVID was your opportunity to become desperate for God because there was hardly any help from man. And when man is not available, it's impossible to depend on the arm of flesh. You have to depend on what you cannot see and what you cannot sense from your fire senses you have to know God for yourself you have to know him in a way that is revolutionary that changes the way you think and my aim today is to affect your mentality in a permanent way so that you don't think the way you used to before but you start thinking on a higher level in sync in harmony and in similarity to the way that Jesus thinks to the thought of God himself and so how many of you have a sound mind hallelujah Philippians 4 and verse 6, Paul tells us, be anxious for nothing. That it means anything that causes you anxiety, stop thinking about it. Be at peace that God can fix it. He can turn it around. He wants you to know that if you have peace, you will attract his intervention. If you have peace, you will attract his convention. If you have peace, you will attract the might, the majesty, the grace, the wisdom, the power of God to turn that situation around for you in your life. And he commands us, be anxious for nothing. Stop being anxious about that thing. 
Your anxiety is not going to grow your stature. It's not going to make things better. It's actually going to make things worse. And you know, the thing we are anxious about, it hasn't even happened yet. Have you noticed that 75% for most, 60% for others, don't know the percentages for the rest, that the things that kept you up till 3 a.m. at night, kept you breathing heavy, your blood pressure spiked, and you were panicking, you felt like tomorrow will never come, I won't make it through the day. Have you noticed that 75% of those things did not happen? That you were really afraid of a threat, not a reality. And how many of you know that the devil lost his teeth on Calvary? <laughs> his bite is gone. And that's why Peter tells us, he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That's fivefold ministry. And in due season, I will exalt you. That means listen to the word that comes through those who are assigned to perfect you for the ministry. Listen to the word. Humble yourself. Subscribe to the word. Submit to the word of God. And make sure you have a great teacher like the pastor God has given you. And the arsenal of ministries that he brings to the church in word and in song word. Hallelujah. Why? Because your adversary, rather, let me back up. Why? Because he says, cast your cares, your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. That means he doesn't want you worrying about anything. He's got it in hand. It may not come exactly when you want it, but he wants to teach you trust, patient faithfulness. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, goeth about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Who is the him who may devour? Those who don't know how to cast their cares. Those who don't know how to not be anxious. Those who haven't found how to gain peace from God. So that when they're threats in your face, all the generals of Israel could be cowering for fear and trepidation of David. But David had peace. All the, the kings uh, and leaders of the time, uh, particularly Nebuchadnezzar, was afraid for the death of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were his buddies. They were his friends. But by decree, he was sworn to execute that decree that they burn in the fire. But they weren't anxious. They weren't anxious at all. They knew that their God was able to deliver them. And just in case he didn't, that it was their free ticket to glory. But they were certain that he was going to deliver them, even if it was in the fire. And not just to deliver them in the fire, but to deliver them from the hand of the person who created the fire. Because if you get rid of one fire and you don't deal with the hand, that supervisor on your job can create another problem for you. And you ought to be anxious of none of them. You know why? Because God has plans for you of peace, not evil. To give you an expectation that is fulfilled. An expectation he put in your heart and in your mind. I hope I'm talking to somebody already. If I'm going too fast, I can slow down. But Pastor Biles put me on the Formula One track this morning with that short time he gave me. <laughs> so be anxious for nothing. Help me and slap somebody high. I'm telling them, be anxious for nothing. It's an empty threat. Have you noticed that, that so much of the woes and the troubles that you thought were going to beleaguer you and, and maim you and tame you, they did not happen. But if you retain those negative thoughts in your mind, it attracts negativity. Your thought life is powerful because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. Satan is looking for the person who thinks wrongly so that he has permission to your thinking to do what you are thinking about. Both realms answer your thoughts. 
Oh, we get that next week. But if you retain good thoughts, friends, something is going to happen. But if you retain bad thoughts, you're allowing the enemy to rob you of your joy, rob you of your peace, rob you of your power, rob you of your Zoe life. Uh, so you have thought yourself into defeatism, thought yourself into depression, thought yourself into self-pity, thought yourself into low self-esteem, thought yourself into weak self-confidence. And as a result, you lose the assistance of God as an available asset to you in the journey of life and its proposed victories from the annals of God's prophetic word concerning your life. Your Bible says in Romans 7 verse 25 that it is with the mind that we serve the law of God. When he said serve the law of God, he was not referring to the law of Moses. He was referring to the law written in Romans 8 and verse 1. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How many of you are in Christ? Oh, fantastic. And why? For the law of sin and death, or rather the law of the spirit of life in Christ, has set us free from the law of sin and death. So he makes a clear definition between the law of God, that's the law of the spirit of life in Christ, and the law of Moses, which only brings condemnation. Hallelujah. And he's clear about that. So he announces to us therein that the battle is between your ears. I remember when I was a young Christian and a young leader, we used to battle in the heavenlies. And we thought that was where our warfare was. Friends, the devil tricked us. The battle is not in the heavenlies. It's in between your mind, in between your ears. The battlefield of your future, your life, the outcome of God's destiny plan for you is in your mind. It's in your thinking. And that means if something is going to win, it's how you think that causes you to win. In the beginning was the mentality. The mentality was with God. The mentality was God. There was not anything that was made that was not made with, without the mentality. This building was a thought. First a thought in God's mind and then a thought in your pastor's mind. And then the architects helped to define that a little, a little more. Hallelujah. Everything that he's done in upgrading the facility, it's a thought. The shirt you're wearing, the suit you're dressed up in, the car you drove in was a series of thoughts. Thought life is powerful, it's important, it's critical. And God defines his incarnation as the thought. Brought to us as the logos in the Greek, but in English it's referred to as the word, the mind of God. Spiritual warfare is how to bring your every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Paul said, we do not wrestle with mankind. We love them. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and the rules of darkness of this world. Hallelujah. But he then goes on to tell us that we must bring our every thought, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That does not refer to obeying Christ. That's a good thing. It refers to bringing our thoughts captive to what Christ was obedient to. Hallelujah. His obedience is what set us free. If he didn't do that one obedient work on the cross of Calvary, none of us would be free today. And so we must bring ourselves to a place of obedience to the power of the finished work. That was his obedience. Oh, I hope somebody's listening. I don't know if this is listening or thinking. If you're thinking, that's good too. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is stop wasting your energy trying to wrestle with other people and how they think about you. You know why? Because how they think about you just does not matter. Your destiny 
is not in somebody else's mind. Your fate is not in some cluster of gossip going on somewhere. Your destiny is in God's unlimited power. Your destiny is in God's hand. Your destiny has already been released and is waiting for you to ascend to it mentally and then it has permission to begin to happen sequentially in your life. Are you here somebody? Let me say it to you another way. God is big enough to have blessed you eternally without needing anybody's help. Not from his angels, not from mankind, not from anything in creation. All by himself. He says, I have already blessed you. It's not that I'm going to bless you. I've blessed you completely already. Hear me somebody. The Bible says that it is, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. It's, it's not of him that wills, nor of, it's of him who runs. It is because I chose to use you. And when I choose, I don't choose the best. I don't choose the most excellent. I don't choose the most matriculated. I don't choose the people with the most degrees. I often choose the worst. I often choose the least likely. I choose the things that don't make any sense. I choose the people that don't make any sense. I choose the foolish things of this world that I may confound the wisdom of the wise, the base things. So I confound the strength of the mighty. You know why? So that the excellency of the power is not in where you matriculated from. It's not in what pedigree you have. It's in the fact that if I didn't choose you, then it can't happen for you. I'll show you so many educated folk that are broke, busted, and disgusted. I'll show you folk who have all kinds of talent and skill and they can't rub two dollars together. I'll show you folk who have it high and mighty, but they amount to nothing. You know why? The excellency of the, is of them. But God says, when I want to show off my exceptionalism, I choose those who are empty who are at the bottom of the rank, who are at the low place in the totem pole, so that when I raise them up and use them to do incredible things, they become epitomes of my intervention in human life. That's why I have a chance. I want to boast in nothing else but the grace of God. The reason why I'm able to stand here today, it's not the work of a man. It's just purely the mercy of God. It's the grace of God. And grace is not something you earn or that you deserve. It's something that God gave you because he saw that those who are forgiven much, they love much. Those who are broken much, they have an opportunity for me to intervene in life because I can't really access you if you aren't open. And he sometimes has to cut to open you up for him to come in from the outside or to open you up so that his oil can come out from the inside. Hear me, friends. You are the new creation and when God blesses you, he blesses you on his opinion of you and never on the opinion of anybody else. And so you must assent till your own opinion of yourself rises to agree with what God sees about you and how God defines you. And should I show you how God defines you? He defines you just the same way he defines Christ. When he looks at you, Kelvin, he sees Christ completely. He sees no flaw. He sees no fault. He sees no blemish. He sees no stain. Otherwise, the cross of Calvary was an exercise in futility. And if you can't ascend to that, you're missing the whole fulcrum of the gospel, the new covenant. It means that we are then stuck in the old covenant, which is an oblivious law. It's an oblivious system. It's like a credit card. That, that it's the right card, but it's expired. I, I kept saying, please check, try again. And I didn't realize that it wasn't working because it had expired. There's a better covenant, better blood, better promises, better efficacy, much better on every level. And that's the covenant I belong to.
I'm not Mosaic. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a Sadducee. I'm a Christian. Hallelujah. I'm a Christian. I don't earn what I get. I believe that God did it already. And so his grace makes it available. My faith in his grace takes what grace makes. Hallelujah. And so sometimes things can get real bad. And if you're like me, you've been to the place called Down and Out. Broke, busted, and disgusted. Hopeless, harrowed, messed up, totally twisted, convoluted things. And I'm not talking about BC only. I'm talking about AD2. We don't like to talk about that. And so we have these unbelievable heroes who are absolute epitomes of total perfection. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Hallelujah. You're going to have a problem somewhere. Because even though you are a child of purpose, a child of destiny, people of purpose have problems. And the church has refused to see that people of purpose can have real problems. Because purpose in and of itself attracts problems. I don't mean Dominion Chapel. What I mean is I dare you to succeed and show me how many of your friends you're able to keep. I dare you to do excellently well in your life and tell me that you won't have haters that you thought were best friends. And the worst kind of, of, of enemy to have is, is the one who's a friend of me. They look like a friend, they sound like a friend, they talk like a friend, they shake your hand like a friend, they send you flowers on your birthday like a friend, but they hate the fact that it is you and not them. So you have to have a special skill called soft power, which your pastor has in great dose, great unmeasuredness, so that you can handle them and understand that to feast, you have to have a table of enemies. Stop praying for your enemies to die. I used to do that. It licenses the enemy to try and assault you with death. But more importantly, you need your enemies. You need them. Success just tastes that little bit much more sweeter when it's in the face of the folk who said that you would never make it. And they have to watch you succeed in spite of their powerful opinion that you can never succeed anymore. God loves to prove them wrong. How dare you say that he cannot bless her? Or how dare you think that he cannot bless him because you are now God's first cousin? No way. God will take the fellow that you washed up and washed out and bless him just because you said that he can't bless him. That's the story of my life. In fact, when you assault me with all kinds of gossip and all kinds of rumor, I get excited. For that reason alone, God will choose to have mercy on me. And how dare you take my place? How dare you say what can and cannot happen when you are just as bad a problem as you think she is or as you think they are? Am I talking to somebody? Can we get real in DCH? The church needs to be the church. It needs to be the love of Christ expressed unlimitedly to everybody. You can't say you love God if you don't love me. You can't say you, you love God if you don't love your neighbor. Oh, I hope I'm talking. And so washed up, washed out like Moses. But how many of you know that you can still believe? So people in this room this morning are washed up somewhere. You're broken and battered and you've lost hope. Things have had such a downturn in some personal aspects of your life and you feel like, I can never get there anymore. The devil is a liar. If you understand that, I want you to shout, I still believe. I've been to hell, 
and I'm not back yet, but I still believe. I'm in a cage in my mind and in my circumstance, but I still believe. I'm in a hellhole, and it looks like there's no way out, no way over, no way through, but I still believe. You know why, friends? Even though I can't see the door with my eyes, even though I can't calculate my way out of things, I know somebody who said to us, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Again, he said, I am the door. That means when there seems to be no way, God already made the way. You don't have to look for here, there, and everywhere. He's in your heart. He's in the word. He's in the atmosphere. He's omnipresent, omnipresent in the future, in the past, and in your very now and now. That means, friend, there's always still hope, no matter how hopeless it may seem in the opinions of men and how hopeless it may seem in the voice of your circumstance. I still believe. Now, all of you who don't believe because your circumstance is future, it's fierce. It's devastatingly pronounced. I want you to sit down. But the rest of you who know that no matter how bad it is, God is true. That means with God, nothing is impossible. Do you not know that you live in the realm of the possible? That if you reach far to this extremity of your stretch, you can get what is possible. But God doesn't live in the realm of the possible. He operates in the realm of the impossible. That means doing the impossible is his natural habitat. That when you encounter his presence, the impossible is very, very, very likely to happen. If you believe it, shout somebody. It's very likely to happen. Oh, you ain't helping me. Let me try. Where's the choir? Where's the choir sit? That means that, friends, if you encounter him, it's very, very likely to happen. That means the windows of heaven are going to burst wide open. The blessing of God, the maker vision, that's no sorry, is going to show up in your life. The fire that they thought was going to burn you to smithereens is going to feel like air conditioning at 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Hear me, somebody. Am I talking to you yet? Come on, choir. I want you to give us your loudest shout. I still believe. I may not know how long it will take, but I still believe. I don't know what the whole process will be, but I still believe. I don't know what else is going to happen that may attempt to give me panic attacks, but I still believe. I still believe that I was born to win. I still believe that I was made to be the head and not the tail. I still believe that he snatches people like me from the back to take me to the front, from down under to lift me up and over. I still believe. The devil tried to keep me unbelief, but he's a liar. He can't work it. That trick won't work me anymore. I still believe. So when he comes with his opinions and uses opinions of men, I run to the word so I can revitalize my faith in having the mind of Christ. Did he not say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Paul not say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. I want you to go to five people, tell them you have the mind of Christ. That means you still believe. 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 How many of you feel, don't go there yet, I still have a ways to go. How many of you believe that they try to box you in? You know, my wife keeps saying to me, he said, Devil, you keep, you keep boxing me in. You keep giving me labels. And I, it dawned on me what she meant. People feel comfortable when they can label you. 
and they put parameters into which they sequester your possibility or your impossibility saying you can go this far but no further they gave me 40 minutes <laughs> I, I can stop right now trust me <laughs> I have your permission I haven't gotten to my text yet and they put you in this box and your mind begins to accept the box how dare you accept the box when you carry a dimension of the omnipresence of God how dare you allow them to box you when your God is unlimited and he said I made you in my own image and my own likeness how dare you allow them to put you in a prison and incarcerate you with limitations the brass ceiling is gone today the glass ceiling is gone today the parameters by which he said you can come this far David but no further stay with those sheep those boundaries are broken if you believe it shout yes somebody of your problem, your plight, your predicament, your, your situation to, to suggest that, that that's why you're boxed. They use it against you in marriage. They use it against you in your economics. They use it against you in your upward mobility, in your career, your industry. They use it against you in all kinds of things and say, as for him, he's like this and like that. How dare you? Are you God? Are you saying that God cannot do whatever he wants to do? That he cannot show mercy to who he wants to show mercy to? That he will not be compassionate to those he wants? It's not of the person that chooses I want to be. It is God who chooses. Otherwise, David would never have a chance. Daniel would never have a chance. Joseph would never have a chance. Your pastor and I would never have a chance. And you would never have a chance. So to advertise this potential, God likes to use the least likely to do the most mighty. So that others can see, hey, I got you in my path. That's the word of the Lord. That's God's word. That's God's word. Moses was washed up for 40 years. Working for his father-in-law, the worst job you could have. Because that gives your wife control over you. And she's not meant to control me. I, I'm not meant to control her either. God is meant to be in control, but he gives first um, memo to the head. Sometimes when the head can't hear, he gives first memo to Jacob, Isaac's wife. Isaac didn't know who the heir was, but his wife knew from birth. Let's leave that alone. Let's leave, let's leave that alone. So where was I? <laughs> Uh, so, so I, I want you to, to think for a moment. And after you've thought for a moment, I want you to look for three people. Tell them, I'm coming up. And if you don't like up, say, I'm coming out. No, not just one person. I want you to go to at least three. I'm coming up. I'm coming up. I want the world to know. I'm going to let it show. I'm coming. Oh, hold it. I thought you guys, I, I, hold it, hold it. I thought you guys were redeemed. Don't, get, don't, just don't go there. That song was sang by Diana Ross. She came out of the church, but she did not know she was carrying a prophetic word when she released that song. From that point forward, great things like black personalities coming to the fore in sport, in entertainment, in athletics, uh, in American football, 
in British football or soccer and coming into the White House and dominating the media space in a powerful way. And they were the first fruit. Guess who the next fruit is? It's right here in this room. The role that Nigeria is going to play in America's next dimension is right here. In houses just like this. You sowed in Africa, but you're going to reap in America. You don't always reap where you sowed, you reap what you sowed. I said you're going to reap. You're the generation of reapers. Hallelujah to God. You're coming up even if they don't want you up. You're coming out even if they don't want you out. You're coming out even if they try to keep you down. You are coming out. If you are one of those, I want you to tell one person before you sit, tell them, I've been thinking differently lately. And then tell somebody else, I cannot think the way I used to think before I came to this service. And then please be seated. Keyboard, don't go there. You'll find me up too early. So I've been thinking laterally. I've been thinking outside the square. And where I live, I have to think outside the square because it will box you. My nation is crippled. I have to think outside its crippling circumstances. The economy in my country is, is paralyzed. I have to think outside that. Otherwise, my economy will be affected and I have responsibility. And so I can't think on the level of the, of the terrestrial economy. I have to think on the level outside the box in God's economy. Hallelujah. I've been thinking lately that I'm, I'm too young to quit now. I've been thinking lately that the enemy and haters' opinions of me are, are too small and insignificant to stop me in my tracks. I've been thinking that God is too strong to let them kill me. I don't care who they are. I've been thinking that, 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 that God loves me too much to not cover my head in battle. My body may be paralyzed, but I've been thinking. My body may be bent over, double, but I've been thinking. My whole being may be tamed and lamed, but I've been thinking. I've been known like this for not just one year, not just five years, not just 12 years, but for 18 years, but I've been thinking. My money may be lame, but I've been thinking. My country may be crippled, but I've been thinking. The economy may be down and out, but I've been thinking. I, I don't know if you hear what I'm saying, but I want you to tell somebody beside you, watch out for me because I've been thinking. I've been thinking. In, in weeks gone past, I, I've been torn between the quality of my thought and the quality of my prayer. And I confess to you that I've been leaning more to the quality of my thinking because the power of your prayer is in the divine intelligence of your thought. And if your thought is out of sync with how God sees and thinks about you, what's going to happen is that your prayer becomes ineffectual. So it is not faith, even though there's belief in it, it is not faith in how God thinks. It is not faith in the gospel. It's not faith in the new covenant. And so I have to start thinking the way he thinks. And when you start thinking the way he thinks, your mind escapes incarceration. It escapes San Quentin. It escapes Belmarsh. It escapes Kirikiri or Gashua. I don't know where you live, uh, but, but it escapes the prisons that people make for us. And those prisons are not always with brass and iron and lockdown that's physical. Sometimes it's a lockdown in your mind. And your 
your, your mind has to escape the snare of the fowler like an eagle who has found its wings and has the wind of God like wind in the sails of a ship. You have to start thinking differently. You've got to think outside the box. Think in the box for a moment, but say, I cannot be parameter. There's too much inside of me to be parameter like this. Hear me. Hear me. When a God whose mind is not sequestered to the parameters of a box finds a woman or a person, even though her life is in a box, her thinking is outside the box, something exceptional is about to happen. Oh, I didn't hear you. When a God who thinks outside the box shows up in a house or in a family or in a person's mind who's also thinking outside the box in spite of their circumstance, something is going to happen. Why? Because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. And remember that asking comes from thinking. Unless you're just talking off the top of your heart. Hallelujah. And God did not give you such a powerful mind for you to speak in tongues 24 hours a day. I don't know what happened to us as Pentecostals. Pentecostals are not supposed to be uncerebral. We're supposed to use our Pentecostal heavenly language to deal with things that thought and understanding cannot deal with. I don't pray in tongues when I understand the nature of my problem and have intelligently uh, deduced from scripture and the mind of God what the solution is. I don't need to pray in tongues there. I reserve my tongues to build my spirit, one, two, to deal with things that I don't understand. What I understand, the word will answer it precisely, like a very sharp knife to its target, dividing and separating what God wants from what the enemy is trying to bring. So we disguise our lack of intelligence. And if you don't get the interpretation, you just you just release angels to do what you don't have understanding to receive. And faith and understanding are from the same family. In fact, they cannot exist apart from each other. I hope you're here. He did, not, he did not give you a powerful brain upon which sits a very powerful mind in which, because of rebirth, you have the divine mind. He didn't give it to you to frustrate you. So when you think of things that are not possible, not usual, never been done, no precedent for, he didn't give you that mind to frustrate you. He gave it to you so that he could do exceedingly abundantly above what you ask or think. That's where technology came from. That's where development and advancement came from. Why do you think the countries that only speak in tongues but don't think about what they understand are behind the countries that do? It doesn't take Pentecostals to build a nation like this. There were 70 Christ 72 Christians that wrote the original articles of the constitution of this land. 32 of them were reverend gentlemen. That was not accidental. By the way, they were thinking men. Look at the, the, the articles they wrote. They had issues, there was slavery in the mix and, and there was some inequity, but fundamentally it was still a near perfect document. It's protected the interests and the equity of this land and powerful things like justice is not perfect here. It will only be perfect in heaven. And until heaven comes to earth, we won't see that perfection here, but it's darned good. When you pay your tax, you see where it's going. Yeah? Even though when you go to uh, San Quentin, it's just us. It still keeps crime off the streets. 
and crime out of your house and you're afraid of committing crime because you know that justice will happen sometimes to just us. Yeah? Um, so look at somebody and shout at them. Tell them, think. Do you know that you can think yourself out of the problem? You can think yourself out of the sequester, the boundaries, the parameters that locked you up in. You can think yourself into a 5,000-seater auditorium. You can think yourself and your team into wealth so that you can do the will of God without having to beg or borrow. Hear me, somebody? You can think your country, the one you came from, and I'm not talking about the one you live in. You can think it out of these misleaders and misgovernments and misgovernments. You can help us. You have the power to do it. You are our Joseph. Hear me, somebody? You are our Joseph in a foreign land. Hear me. And one day the trumpet is going to sound of a day and a dream when Africa will be the desirable place to come back home. And many of you who are missing your Isiewu, your Elegushi, your Akonsup, your uh, what's that other one you eat? That Exactly what you said. Well, you have better roads in Lagos and in Afiko and in Umwahia than you have anywhere in Texas. Where the best restaurants will be Nigerian restaurants and soft power all over the world. Not with so much grease and so much oil, but with the great flavor of Africa. You can't beat Lagos. You can't beat Ijebode. You, oh, you can't beat Obomosho. You, oh, Lord. The only problem is that in a country where 60% of the populace are Christians, we're not thinking. We're babbling. And I don't make light of the importance of praying in the spirit. But I make light of unintelligence. We've got to become intelligent. That's what the spirit is here for. Can I say this to you? The first evidence of the spirit's presence is not speaking in tongues. I was taught that in theology school. It's not speaking in tongues. Joel tells us what it is. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Young men, old men, young ladies and ladies will what? They will prophesy. They will see visions. Vision is not, there are three beds that have come from the village. You are in Texas. You are thinking about three beds from the village. Let's talk. That they bury one placenta, so what? Is that where your mind is? What is vision? Vision is this building, it's this township, this, these roads, this infrastructure, fiber optics, communication, so you don't have to fly or drive. You, you can zoom or you can team, hallelujah. That's vision. These things were seen a long time ago and to execute them, it takes an intellect. Not if you speak in tongues and you don't have interpretation, it's unintelligence. Paul called it barbarianism. Please pray in tongues. Paul said, after he said that, he said, I, I speak in tongues more than you all. Because it activates my divine intelligence. When you don't pray in tongues, let me balance it. It's like a fish outside water. The natural habitat of your best mind is the anointing of the Spirit of God. 
I hate to walk into building where I'm supposed to speak or leave my bed or put my feet on the floor on the day I'm going to speak without sensing the anointing. And all I need to do to to sense the anointing is wash my steps in butter, my thinking in butter. What is butter? The churning of the word like milk into butter. And the Bible says, then the rock will yield you rivers of oil so that you gush. You don't even have to think about it twice. Once you start speaking word, the oil will flow. What does the oil do? It breaks yokes. It removes burdens. It cancels limitations. It breaks the box by infiltrating the mind in a powerful way. Can I go to my subject? Can I go there? I'm in my text. (laughs) I'm in my text. And so, here is this woman. She has no name. We don't know her surname. All we know is that uh, uh, she's crippled to the point where one version says she's doubled over. That means, friends, her head was lower than her hips. She had no switch. She had no swagger. She had no limp. She had a crippled posture. What would take other people two minutes to journey in could take her 20, 30, 40. She was taking little baby steps because of her condition. The pain was so crippling and it did not last a week. And it went to two weeks, then it went to three weeks, then it went to months, then it went to years. Then it went beyond a decade. It was approaching two decades. She's infirmed. We don't know whether she's rich or poor. We don't know whether she's educated or uneducated. But this infirmed woman, this sick woman, this crippled, paralyzed woman for half of her body, this disparaged woman, this deformed woman, this boxed woman, this labeled woman, she's been thinking. How do I know that she's been thinking? How do I know that? Because for her to have kept coming, she must have been thinking. She kept coming because she kept thinking. She kept thinking and so she kept coming. That one day, one day, I'll wait all the days of my appointed time, but one day, and and that's great thinking, but it's not the best thinking. And then she moved from one day to someday, and she did not know which day, hallelujah to God, But, 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 but that was the problem. And she kept saying within her mind, one day, I'm not going to be bent over. Then she started to hear somewhere in the last two and a half years of her 18 years of being crippled that there was a man who had uh, uh, occasion for people like her, who had a penchant for relieving and alleviating the suffering of persons just like her, whether it was emotional or physical or sociological or, or domestic. He had a passion for freeing people like her and sometimes for people who had all her circumstances, psychological, social, emotional, intelligence, etc., And she said, one day. And she knew that he had a habit to often go to the synagogue before he went into the fields. And that it was his custom to go to the synagogue first. Good to see you, Tim. And as she appeared in the synagogue that day, she went to where she normally hides so that she's not the object of visualization. And that was a good day. Look at somebody telling me you picked the right day to be in Dominion Chapel. And every Sunday here is the best day to be here at Dominion Chapel, Texas. And look at her now. Look at her. Your thinking has to be outside the box of your circumstance. So that in spite of the feelings associated with how people view you because of your circumstance, you keep on thinking differently. You can't change your life if you keep thinking according to your circumstances. Look at somebody and tell them, what do you think about yourself? 
And then look right back and then tell them what you think about yourself does make a difference. Think about this. What about if that day she didn't come to church? What about if that day she thought, I'm too tired or I'm too crippled? Or, or there isn't a parking space for me. It's not going to be easy to park and it's cold and the weather is beating down with heavy rain. Or, or it's going to be such a long walk and I'm already late with what happened with my running stomach and, and everybody's going to see me crippled and crawling trying to get to a good seat. And, and if she said she wasn't coming, what would have happened to her? She would have missed her moment. She would have missed out on her miracle. She would have missed out on her breakthrough. I want to tell somebody this morning that you are in the right place at the right time, in the right house, under the great leadership of the right pastor. I, I am bold to tell you that you better get ready. Buckle your seatbelt, pull out your tent pegs, enlarge your borders, saddle your horses, roll out your chariots, because something is about to happen in your neighbor's life. No, something is about to happen in your life. The visitation is exactly for you. You know how you know? You felt during the sermon that God had singled you out as if the pastor had a wiretap in your house or had your phone bell. Then how come he knows my circumstance so exactly? If that's you, I want you to shout your loudest shout as a sign that you know that something is going to happen in your life. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. And sometimes the greatest miracle is not the manifestation. It's what happens in your mind on a particular day. The greatest day in Moses' life was the burning bush. And without the burning bush, there would have not been the great miracles of national deliverance. Hear me, I'm going somewhere. This woman had faith. David, she had faith. We define faith wrongly by saying that you have faith if you have a nice car or a nice pair of cars, you have a nice house with a white picket fence in Sugarland or Katy, you got it going on and you travel and you do this and you do all of that and you have nice kids and you have a nice spouse in the house. He's tall, dark, handsome, or she's beautiful, curvilinear, hips, lips, fingertips, and she's got an accent and all of that. And then, and you got money, you have like six or seven zeros in not Naira, dollar. Yeah. And they say, I admire that guy's faith. And, and I, I beg to differ. That was just prosperity. It wasn't necessarily faith. But you have faith when there's no spouse in the house. Where it's not that you have lovely children, but, but one of your lovely children or two of them have been possessed by a monster. So every time you go into the room to look at the child, a monster talks to you. That's not your son not your daughter and yet you still have faith no car but you still have faith broke busted disgusted the tax man and the creditors are after you they want to repossess this that and the other but you still keep coming because you still have faith that one day someday something is going to happen that it might be today this woman kept coming why because she had faith look at hebrews chapter 11 you'll discover that everybody there had a challenge that defied time for a significant 
period of time. And yet they kept on believing. This woman, she wins my admiration. She wins my salutation. She wins my respect and my highest considerations. Because for 18 years of debilitation, discombobulation, dejection, disparagement, she kept the faith. If you know that you've been keeping the faith and the person besides you needs to keep faith too, I want you to shout at three people. Don't talk to them and tell them, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. The roof may go out, but keep the faith. The money may go funny, but keep the faith. Your heart may be broken, but keep the faith. Trouble may have reared her ugly face, but keep the faith. Pastor, how do I keep the faith? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing according to the new covenant. And that's how faith comes. Because any other faith is faith in a lesser personality than the deity of deities, the God of creation, the God who can do anything. That's why I respect this woman. She was bowed over. Her circumstance caused the opinions of men to write her off, that she will never stand tall. She'll never come up. She'll never come out. But this woman kept thinking. What does keep thinking in the right way mean? Keep the faith. In fact, we are kept by the faith. You may fail, Peter, but your faith, the faith, will fail you not. It's great faith to believe in spite of seeing no fruit on the vine. To build a building after having planned it for nine years, for another nine and a half years, and not see the roof in the first 14 years, and yet you keep the faith. To have gone down and people buried you, did your obituary, but yet four days later you come out because somehow even when you were dead and couldn't keep faith somebody kept faith for you his name is Jesus friends 18 years is a long time and when you've had a problem for a long time people who had a weekend problem they become annoyingly irritating to you you say that nobody let me park where I normally park or they didn't acknowledge me in the service. Or they didn't give me a good seat because they had some visitors. And, and that happened for two Sundays. Two weeks. And that's the problem. Or they didn't invite me to dinner or didn't, didn't, didn't call my name. And, and that's the problem. Or I had, I've had a bad diarrhea. Please, please. Uh, uh, for two days. This woman had this problem for 18 years. I believe deliverance is coming to people who have had long-standing problems. Long-standing domestic issues, long-standing financial issues, long-standing crippling in different facets and aspects of their lives. I believe deliverance is coming to your house. In fact, it is here in your house today. And you know, then, then there are all these, these cute folk, you know, these cute folk. It's so important to them that because they bought their special dress at Neiman Marcus yesterday, they have to be in church in a visible position to show it off. Or their, their, their fingertips, their new hairdo, or their new dress, or their new suit. And if you don't give them the right seat, Mr. Usher, they, they're going to have a problem. But there are some of us, we're not here to show off lips, hips, fingertips, clothes, cars, or anything. We're here because we think that it might be today. It wasn't last Sunday. It wasn't the Sunday before. But we still keep thinking that it might be this Sunday. And for the last 18 years, she's been thinking one Sunday soon, it's going to happen for me.
And so for all of you who that's not the reason why you come, uh, we salute you. We celebrate you. We like your, your fingertips. We like your hairdo. We love your lovely dress. We like the car you drove. You look absolutely fabulous. But okay, have you got what you need now? Let's praise God. Let's really praise God. And what God was about to set up was the most amazing praise in that room that day. The synagogue had never seen that level of glory show up. And God was about to do it through her. He chose her for, for that reason. Hear me, friend. It's not good to be high maintenance. I wonder if there's anybody here who's been dealing with a long-standing problem. You don't have to be in San Quentin or for the Brits, those who are in Belmarsh. You don't have to be in Belmarsh or in Kilikili or Gashua to do time. Doing time is anything that you've had to suffer for a long time, day in, day out, week in, week out, month and year in and out. Doing time. There are people sitting beside you who've been doing time for a long time. And when everybody knows that you've been doing time, that's a box. Because they start talking in whispers behind your back. And you start hearing them. And some of them are deliberately whispering at a level you can hear them. 18 years, this woman has been doing time. You may not be in San Quentin, but you've been doing time. You may not be in Belmarsh, but you've been doing time in a box, boxed, limited. And you know, I used to be a junior at a certain school that I won't name. And when you're a junior in any institution or system or denomination, uh, they like to keep you there. It happened in the house of David or the house of Jesse. It happened in the house of Jacob to Joseph. It happened in my house. It happens in almost every house. Once you are a junior, the seniors who are not necessarily mobile, they want to keep the juniors here. But God doesn't take permission from papa or mama, from daddy or mommy, from parents when he chooses to visit the house and do something in the house. With the least likely, the brunt, the black sheep or the dark goat in the house, he will do whatever he wants to just to show you that it's not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God who shows mercy. That's why you are a candidate. Something powerful is about to happen in your life. And just as the master was about to go to his lectern, Bible says something profound. He saw her. He didn't see the way others see. Because others can look at you and only see your problem. They don't see the cause. They don't see what it feels like to be you. They don't see what the problem has caused you in your life. They don't see how the problem has maimed your emotions, maimed your mind, maimed your circumstances, broken your economy, made you so disparaged, and now it's public. They didn't see that. She, she was seen by him. I wonder if there's anybody here who wants to thank God that he sees you. That he, see, he sees you in the pain you can't talk to anybody about. He sees you in the shame that you can't talk to anybody about. He sees you with problems that you don't even know how to think about them. When you think about them, it causes you so much, so much depression that you don't even want to go there. But friends, hear me. God said in Isaiah 49, I will never forget you. The 
Nursing mothers may forget their own child, but I will never forget you. Psalm 107 verse 20. He said, he sent his word and healed them of all their destructions. Jeremiah 30 verse 17. He said, I will restore health to you. I will heal you of your wounds, saith the Lord. Because uh, they came, uh, or they, they called you an outcast and say, this is Zion who nobody is interested in. Isaiah 55 verse 11, he said, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It will prosper the thing to which I sent it. It will accomplish my purpose in your life. James chapter 1 and verse 21, the B cause. He said this, receive the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Can we talk about the engrafted word for a few moments and then I'll wrap my clothes. Hear me. In every sermon that you hear or every Bible fellowship you are in, not everything you hear is going to graft to your being. It is the engrafted word, those words that stick to your soul, that rescue your mind, rescue your emotions, and rescue your choices. Hallelujah. And if you listen again, you'll get more engrafted word. Because sticky attracts sticky. And so what's happening when the word grafts to you, it's, it's such that your spirit already knows the word, and so when your soul, your mind, your emotions hear the word, your spirit now has le leverage, has legitimacy, and starts prompting your soul, listen to this, listen to that. And your soul says, yes, it makes sense. Wow, that's a great proposition. Wow, you mean God is on my side? You mean God can do this? And now your soul and your spirit have agreement. And that's where transformation takes place, in the mind. So that the thoughts of the word now become the thoughts of your mind. Hallelujah. And the first sign of the engrafted word is the transformation of your mentality. And you start thinking different about your circumstance, about yourself, about how God sees you and how you should see yourself. Glory to God. And it happens in the mind first. Have you noticed that most babies, 90% of them, when they're born, they come out head first. When you come out of anything, you always come out mentality first. You come out mind first. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Hallelujah to God. So this is powerful now because what happens is when the word engrafts to you, it engrafts because there's, a, there's an opening. When you were not open, the word would not graft. So it's often where you are cut that the thing from outside grafts. So when you want to graft a, a twig to a tree, you have to cut the tree. And then you take the twig and you join it where it was cut. Brokenness showed me the word of God. Pain made me needy and powerfully desperate for a divine intervention through the word. You don't need word if you're not cut. You think you can do it by yourself. But God raises you by breaking you. He builds you by cutting you. Every builder knows you have to cut and shape and shave if you're going to build. Because things don't fit together naturally. They have to be cut into fitting shape. And so the word is not going to graft where you don't desperately need it. <laughs> Can we go further? Can we take some more? Hear me. Psalm 37 and verse 4. The psalmist said, Delight yourself also in Jehovah, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's not saying that God is Papa Christmas or that he's Santa Claus. 
He's not saying that God will give you anything and everything that you want. No. What he's saying is that God will give you what to desire. He will put new desires in your heart for things you never desired before. So that all of a sudden, you start wanting to go further. You want to do better. You want to do more. You want to fly higher. You want to go further. You want to go better. And some of you had no desire to be in church 10 years ago. You wanted to be at the nightclub until 4 a.m. in the morning and go to church on Sunday. It was nowhere in your thinking. But because God started to give you new desires, you started wanting what he wants for your life. Because whenever he gives you desire, the desire is evidence that what he has given you to desire exists. It's available. Desire is equivalent to faith. I hope somebody's listening. Let me make it clear to you. Where's the best chair in the house? Can somebody put a chair over there for me, please? Is it, is it possible? So, there's this, there's this, there's this guy. He, he's in a different world altogether, and God wants him to become the top, the head. He wants him to become above only. And so, what does God do? He takes his desires for everything else away, and he takes the desire for that chair. No, put it in the high place, and he puts the desire for that chair that makes him like Joseph. sit in that chair. Everything starts fighting him from getting to that chair. Get up, sir. And he wants to go to that chair, but there are things pushing at him, but he pushes back because his desire cannot be pushed down because of who put the desire there. You know what I'm saying? He won't stop at anything. Why? Because God gave him that chair. Nobody else can sit on it except as a temporary caretaker. Hallelujah. The chair was always for David. But God put Saul there so that nobody else would take it until God was ready with David to raise him to the chair. Hallelujah. Pay attention to your new desires because it is most likely God leading you to your destiny. That's how he led me. That's how he woke me up. That's how when I fell down, he started giving me new desires. The same way the enemy also gives you desires when he wants to take you to your fate. God gives you new desires when he wants to take you to your destiny. Are you here, somebody? And so this gentleman, he kept coming. He kept coming. Come on, come on, sir. It sounds like you don't want it. Let me, let me, let me give it to somebody else. Let me give it to somebody else. Hallelujah. So he's got this desire in his heart. And it's such a strong desire that friends, when the enemy shoots desire at him, he cannot accept it because he has a greater desire for that Isiewu as opposed to Burger King. You understand? And so when they offer him Burger King, he says, no, thank you. He says, I want the chair. I want the chair. They talk about him, but it doesn't stop him. They lie about him. It doesn't stop him. They gossip about him. He keeps on going. The fiercer they get against him, the more ferocious he becomes about getting to the chair. And they say, you can't sit in that chair. It's not for people like you. You can't have that chair. It's for people with crowns. He says, no, that is my chair. It has my name on it. Because when God gives you something, nobody can take it from you. And you'll never have peace in your heart until you get what God gave you to desire. How many of you desire? I want you to lift up your two hands and say, God, take away all my negative desires. I delight myself in you. Now give me your desires for what you want me to be, for all you want me to do, for all you want me to have, 
for everywhere you want me to go, I receive God-given desires. Sit in that chair. Sit in that chair. And when you sit in the chair, do it with style. Don't sit uncomfortable. Don't sit like you don't deserve it. Cross your legs. Do your hand like this. Act like this is my chair, even though it don't feel like yours. presidents and kings last night and the night before. My first feeling was inadequacy, ineptitude, inability. But after a little while, I realized that God went through quite a bit of journey to get me there over the last 38 years. And so when I sat down amongst the kings of Arabia, of Qatar, of Kuwait, friend, I felt like I know where I'm coming from. I looked around and I said, which one of these guys has the mind of Christ like I do? I said, this is my turf. This is my territory. I am going to own this place. And I started acting like the king I am. And I didn't just pull that out of my hat. First John 4, 17. We have been made perfect in God's love. Therefore, we are fearless. For as he is the resurrected Christ sitting on top of everything in the universe in eternity and in time, so are we. Bible says in this world. And when it was time to flow, just like I flowed here, I flowed there. You know why? I believed after years of thinking in the box to start thinking outside the box. Your steps are ordered by God. If you got there, he took you there for a reason. Be yourself. Be the king you are. Be the princess you are. Be a, a, a lord of glory that you are. Take the glory with you. And guess what? If anybody knows that I didn't deserve it, I know. But grace customarily always gives you the things you don't deserve. Otherwise, it is not grace, it is works. Oh, you ain't helping. Cross your legs, huh? Enjoy it. Cross your legs, cross your legs. Yeah. Enjoy it. Now, everybody's looking at him and, oh, we know him. That's Justin. We know what Justin did last summer. We know what Justin went, what went wrong in Justin's life. Just, just enjoy it because there's nothing that their opinion can do about where God has seated you nothing only if you believe their opinion will you unseat yourself but what matters is God's opinion and God himself carried you he took you through your steps took you through your pains took you through your valleys your failures your challenges your successes and he sat you there enjoy it own it I'm saying this to you because some of you within seven days, something is going to happen in your life and you'll feel like it's not yours. Some of you before the service is over, it's going to start happening and for the next three days, it's going to unfold before the eyes of all your haters. Enjoy what God gave you. David, stop acting like it's not yours. Joseph, stop behaving like it doesn't belong to you. Overstep my boundaries. Sit for a moment if you can. I still have a, a little more that I need to share with you. He saw her. And then he knew that if he didn't 
If he didn't take the next step, I'm going to give you five things now. He summoned her. He saw her, saw all that she is, all she was, saw her potential, saw her possibility, which she couldn't necessarily see, which they didn't see, saw her pain, her plight, which she felt that they didn't understand. And he said, I'm going to change it right now. And he summoned her. A summons is always distant. It's never proximus. He summoned her to himself. He called her. And when he called her, he probably said, come here right now. Something like that. And there she is bent over. And she's trying to root to him that I, I can't come, Master. There are too many people in church. It's painful for me to come. It'll be embarrassing for me to come. Can't you see I'm bent over? Why don't you come to me? She never said that. She never said, it could take me 20 minutes to do what other people do in 20 seconds. She said, can't you see I'm crippled? Guess what he says? Come anyway. Come as you are. Come broke if you're broke. Come dead if you're dead. Come taking your time if you have to take your time. But come anyways. See, we want to have a three-piece suit, a nice Mercedes, have everything going nicely before we come to him. Not recognizing that our joy is not in the three-piece suit. It's not in the nice car or the nice house or the joy. It is in the presence of the Lord. For in the presence of the Lord, there's a fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures you haven't even thought of yet. And she said, he said to her, come anyways. Slap two people a high five and tell them, go to Jesus anyways. Go to, the thing about a powerful church like Dominion, it's never about the pastor. It's always about Jesus. And if the pastor is not showing Jesus, uh, then you're in the wrong place. Hallelujah. That's why I make bold to tell you, you are in the right house because the message here is the living word. His name is Jesus, the Christ of God. That's what comes out in every pointing of the man of God God has given you. He points to Jesus. Hallelujah. And here is Jesus saying to the woman, come to me. That what I need to do with you, I don't want anybody to be mistaken as to who did it. It's not any man, but the man Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And she comes anyways. It's embarrassing, but she comes. It's painful, but to come, she comes. It's horrendous for her, but she comes. And this is why she comes. She transited her thinking from one day to someday to this day. Because wherever the Lord is, it is the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. And she ended up right in front of him. In a manner of speaking, it was a face-to-face -face meeting, even though her face was always in the ground because she was doubled over. He saw her, he summoned her, and now he spoke to her. A speaking is different to a summons. A summons is from far. A speaking is a conversation, heart-to-heart, person-to-person, one-on-one. And the fourth thing that he did, he saw her, he summoned her, he spoke to her. What did he speak to her? Did he tell her, woman, you might be loosed. Woman, you can be loosed. Woman, when you get to heaven, you'll be loosed. Woman, in about four years, you're going to be loose. No, he said, woman, you 
definite article. He's not talking about your neighbor. He's talking about you. You are. That term are is present continuous. That means what you've been looking for, it is present. Oh, oh one person is thinking. One person is thinking outside. Two people are thinking outside of the box. 20 people are thinking outside the box. The first 300 people to say amen, I declare that you are outside the box. Woman, you are present tense. Loose, past, continuous tense in the Greek. That means it has already happened. So what was he telling her? He was telling her something about her reality that she was not aware of. The whole premise of the new covenant is being made aware of all that Jesus accomplished on the cross of Calvary. When Elijah and Moses spoke with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, what did they talk about? Read it in your Bible. The things that his cross or his death would accomplish. What did he accomplish? Everything that God was ever going to give to you, he gave it to you on the cross. Hallelujah. Your prayers today will never make get God get up off his chair to go and start doing things in response to your prayer. Prayer never moves God. Prayer moves you to where God is operational. Prayer moves you into a space where your hands can take what God has made available. Hallelujah. Prayer only allows the spirit of God to lift you into the realm of proximity. And that's why he calls you. Can I tell you, friend, God is calling you to come to him. He's calling you to come into his presence. The songs you sing, the books you write, the business you do, the boardrooms you attend. He wants you to operate them in the presence of his Shekinah glory. And then you will see things happen like you've never seen them before. I'm excited about what God's getting ready to do in your life. And he said to the woman, you are loose from your infirmity. He told her something she did not know she was already. Friend, somebody here is a billionaire and is unaware of it. Somebody here has joy unspeakable and full of glory, but you're unaware of it. Somebody here is married in the year 2023 and you are unaware of it. Somebody here, you are completely healed and whole, but unaware of it. One of my friends said this. He said, isn't it amazing how here is the cross. And before the cross, Isaiah speaks about the cross and says, with his stripes, we are healed. As if the cross had already happened. Then Peter is on the forward side of the cross. And he says, with his stripes, we were healed. Hallelujah. Now Jesus, transcendent as he is, above all covenants, he speaks to the woman and says, you are that means you is. Understand the Ebonics? You is. I am because he is. We are because he is I am. Hallelujah. I am just means you are aware of who you are, of what you've got. When you get awareness, your whole life is going to change. And how you see yourself determines how people will see you. If you only buy yourself pomplene, when they want to buy you a shot, they will buy you pomplene. You hear what I'm saying? How you treat yourself is an invitation to people to treat you the way you see yourself. How do you see you? Do you see yourself as somebody who's going somewhere? Or you're already there just discovering? The whole of the new covenant is about discovering what God already gave you 
on the cross that he predetermined from before the foundation of the world. That's why living life in Christ is exciting. So even if I'm in the valley or in the dungeon or in the pit, it's an exciting moment because the story doesn't end there. Hallelujah. Paul wrote most of the epistles in the new covenant from a prison cell. He was liberated that you couldn't keep his mind in the box you had put him in. This woman was boxed by her circumstance. Circumstances are invitations to haters to keep you in a sequester of limitation. But the reason why myself and Pastor Bayou exist is to break limitation. That's why we are here, is to remove the limits. And the limits are most important in that matter of mentality. Because once you have the mind, to buy lock or in here. You know, David had mentality that the generals of Israel did not have. That when they saw a great giant, they cowered in their trenches. The most fearful thing about David's battle with Goliath was not the size of Goliath, but the fear of his seniors. Of how they were afraid, then who is he to not be afraid? But because God had sequestered him to living a life outside the box, to thinking outside the box, killing bears and lions, what is a giant? A more rational creature than a bear, so it's easier to deal with. He's so big we can't fight him. No, David's mentality was different. He's so big I can't miss him. It's a mental thing. And African Pentecostalism has to make a shift. The bottom of my road in the African church is correcting doctrine. Illustratively, expositionally, exegetically. So that you enjoy the sermon that changes your mind. And you can corroborate it by doing what the Bereans do best. Search the scriptures to see whether the things which Paul of Tarsus or Paul of Lagos are saying are true. That's why we're here. Because we've got to go to the word. That's where it is. And hear, hear this. Number one. Number one. He saw her. Go away from here knowing that God sees you. Sees everything. He sees your pain. And he sees that the only problem is you're not seeing yourself the way he's seeing you. Number two, he summoned, he says, come to me. When you go to church, you're not coming to see the pastor. You're coming to see who the pastor's pointing to. Our job is not to be your deliverance. On my way to Katie, I'm not going to see the sign, Katie, two miles, and then jump on the sign and start hugging it. I mean, Katie. No, it's a sign. It's just telling me which way to go. That's all we are, is signposts, pointing you to Jesus. He summoned her to himself. She came to the presence. Can you sense the presence? Don't, don't lose it. Use it. And then he spoke to her personally. It's hard to hear God articulately when you're outside his presence. And then after he spoke to her, what did he do? He told her something about herself that she didn't really know about. And what happened to her? She straightened up herself. Look at four people. Say, so you got to straighten some things up. In other words, you're going to receive power to do what you could not do before. You got to straighten out your accounts. You got to straighten out your taxes. You got to straighten out that relationship with your spouse. You got to straighten out some of those your ways. You know the ones I'm talking about. You know, I don't know. Hallelujah. You got to straighten out your walk, your worship, and your word life. Straighten it out. Try to get it in alignment with God. She couldn't do it before, but all of us, and she had tried. But every time she tried, she felt pain. So she went back to being normal. 
Don't let pain stop you. You can press through the pain. Power will take the pain away. And, and, and she, she lifted, she felt pain. So she didn't want to lift. It's like when you have a sore foot, you don't want to put weight on it. Because weight brings pain. But the master laid his hand on her. And the Passion Translation says, gently. And as he laid hands on her, she started lifting. And there was no pain. She lifted some more. No pain. She lifted much more. No pain. They had never seen her like this in 18 years. She lifted your bride. is going to increasingly become painless. That even though they're saying painful things to you, you won't feel the pain. Because the pleasure of God's presence is going to anesthetize the pain so you can't feel it anymore. They can say what they want to say, do what they want to do, but you won't feel it. And God will keep lifting you up so you're not doubled over. And she stood tall. And as she stood tall, what does the Passion Translation say? It says, glorious praise erupted out of her mouth. Now, hold it. Hold it. There's some of you here. You still don't know what you are. Loosed, loosed, completely loosed from the stall, from the chains, from the box. And so the glorious praise will not erupt from you. But those who have got it in their mind that that box that the circumstance and the haters put me in, it has been broken completely. It happens here. And once she gave the glorious praise, she made it permanent. So God saw her. He summoned her. He spoke to her. He called her to himself. Then he spoke to her personally. And she straightened out herself. He gave her the power to do it. And then she shouted gloriously. I want to make a proclamation to you. And I'm going to do it in two folds. One, to the fine agenda, weaker vessel. And two, to the stronger agenda. Both are containers, but the content is the same. We are vessels, and we never should be confused with the with the con content, they're containers. Hear me. She came into his presence. It was difficult to come, but she got there. When she got there, she felt the power of his presence. And all her possibility thinking turned on. She thought about Lazarus, thought about uh, Jairus' daughter, thought about the widow's son, thought about blind Bartimaeus. She thought about the thousands of people Jesus healed. Some of them she was witness to. She had heard their stories. And she was now in the same place they were, in the presence of the incarnate God. And he says to her what she didn't know she already had. Hear me. If you're a woman in this house, woman, you are loosed. That amen doesn't sound like loosed women. I said, woman, you are loosed. From the chains, from the boxes, from the incarcerations, from the limitations, from the shadows that they hid you under, from the back door, you are loose. Can I hear a glorious shout from all the women in the house? The power of your deliverance and the permanence of your deliverance is in your shout. Woman, is that all you have? Is that all you really got? That means you're loose from paying rent. 
You're loose from being the low woman on the totem pole. You're loose from your financial circumstances. You're loose from being put in a box concerning marriage. You're loose from that abusive husband. You are. If that's you, woman, go to seven women and tell them, watch out for me. I'm a loose woman. Yeah, go to seven. Tell them I'm a loose woman. Men, get ready. Men, I want you to get ready. Your life follows your voice. Your voice follows your thinking. If you said what you said from your heart, I tell you from now, going forward, your life is a loose life. The enemy won't be able to hold you back nor hold you down. Your destiny is at your door. Hallelujah. Where are the men? Where are the men? I wonder if the men have more faith than the women. Man. Somebody shout, you're talking to me right now. Man. You. Are you ready to hear what has happened to you? Are you ready to resonate with it? Is this going to be your engrafted word? You are loose from all your limitations. You won't live in a house that you have to pay rent in anymore. You'll reap what you didn't sow. You'll live in houses you could not afford. You'll buy what you foremost did not have money for. Hear me what I'm saying. You'll own vineyards that you could not buy. You'll drive cars that you could not afford without being in debt. You'll get breakthroughs that are astonishing. God's going to give you signs of lifting that will announce to you that you have come to a new level. Will all the loose men burst into their greatest shout? All right, the men and the women together. Women, I need you one more time. They were about to enter their promised land. And these are warfaring soldiers. And God told their prophet, said, march around the wall seven days. And on, the, on every day, I want you to just go silent. These walls were impregnable. They say chariots used to race on their surfaces. Nobody had ever conquered the people of Jericho. And he said, on the seventh day, seventh time, I want you to shout. And I want you to sustain it as I blow the shofar. This is what Joshua, which is Hebrew for Jesus, said to them. And as they shouted, they saw the impossible happen before their eyes. Walls that no prior army could bring down or shatter crumbled like dust into a pile. And the entire spoil of Jericho became open prey for people who did not have to conquer. They were now more than conquerors. Hallelujah. Your shout is a shout of victory that Christ has already conquered. He's already settled it. He's already given it to you. It already belongs to you. It's already yours. You are already as he is. All he has, you have. As he is, so are you in this world. Hallelujah. I'm going to count to six. And I want you to be perfectly silent. The only thing will be soft strings on the keyboard. And when I shout seven, I want you to shout the shout you've never shouted before. Never. Never in your life. I want you to be louder and longer than you have. And it's not an empty shout. Praise is not for the unintelligent. It is for people who are thinkers. But who also understand the supernatural. You're about to step into an amazingly supernatural moment. 
you will testify. Your testimonies will reach around the world as to what God did on the background of line upon line, precept upon precept over the several weeks and months. I just came to push you over the precipice into the promise of all of God's goodness as an overflow in your life. And you will see it happen as we speak. You will sense it here in between your ears. And you will know that no matter how anxious that problem has made me in the past, it has become like a pile. It has crumbled. That wall between you and your destiny is finished. And your shout is just an affirmation that it is already done. And before your eyes, that manifestation will happen. One. It's the number of God. I want everybody quiet except the keyboard. Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. Two, it's the power of agreement between heaven and earth. Where any two of you should touch and agree on earth concerning anything on earth, it shall be done for you of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, God is already agreement. And when you step into agreement, he does what needs to happen. He manifests it. Three, the concept of the Trinity that produces resurrection. Where everything seemed flawed, failed, and dead in somebody's life, God brings it back a better life than it had before the death. Four, the number of good news. The gospel is good news. Things are going to get better. Hallelujah. What the enemy meant for evil, God is about to turn it for good. Five, the number of grace. The amount of pints of blood in a human body. The number of points in Jesus' body when he was stabbed with stakes in five locations. Six, what is man that you are mindful of him? The number of God's love for humanity you take care to visit him. I'm soon going to count to seven. One, two, I want you to think and see all the walls, all the walls between you and your destiny. You'll know it's you because as soon as we're done, your heart is going to start desiring and wanting what God has for you. And you'll start wishing to go I will. 
amazing thing about this woman is she lifted up herself and all of a sudden she became twice her height. She was now on the level with everybody else. She could look at everyone face to face. Her swagger and her switch came back. Her femininity and her female dignity showed up one more time. Things she could not have before. Now because her life was straightened out, her body was straightened out, her economy became straightened out, her whole well-being, her sociological orderliness, it came to be. Your first breakthrough, it may look little, but it is the first fruit of many breakthroughs that will come to your life even before this year ends. And by the time next year begins, so much of your life will be so straight and upright and standing tall that things are going to come to you. And remember that your thinking, your mentality is like a magnet. If you think of those things which are above, those things which are praiseworthy, those things which are in the realm of the Almighty God, that's what your mind is going to attract. You have a breakthrough today. And by the way, sharing the word today, I have broken through. I believe as you shouted, I was also reaping. The wall standing between me and the promise of God, they have crumbled down. Do you not know that in places where my name was never known, in communities and ethnicities where they were, they were literally living out of, of the voice of this mouth, this mouthpiece, a black bush boy from Djibouti. You hear what I'm saying? And if you understand the kind of pain that God allowed me to go through in the last three or four years, you'd understand that the pain is for a purpose that he cuts so that he can graft the worm. And I stopped believing when I was cut. Oh, the cut was bad. There were many instruments with threshing teeth. But I didn't know God was only cutting because he was going to graft the fullness of Jesus Christ to where I was cut. That this that couldn't be fruit. That was joy. Became fruit. And, and I want to show you something. I'm going to use you now. Are you ready? God really wants to use you. You've got to open up to him. Come, sir. He's a good guy, so that's why I'm using he's, he's paying. This is this guy. And this is God and God's purpose. He's going through so much pain because of affliction that he's more sensitive to the pain. But God is still walking with him. But he's listening here. He's not listening here. Wait. Because your pain can make you insensitive to the presence, the power, and the pronunciations of the Lord. That you are more mindful of what you're going through than where God is taking you to. That was my story. Don't go anywhere. I was so sensitive to my pain, I couldn't hear God. Because all my five senses and my emotions were telling me everything negative. I had panic attacks for weeks and months on end, at least three times every week, where I'd wake up breathing, thinking that my life was over thinking that I was finished eternally and in time. But all through that time, when I could take my mind off my pain and I'd hear a good word or 
hear a good word in my heart or read a good word in the Bible, I feel the presence of God. And I think, my goodness, my father's still with me. And I learned to turn from listening to my pain to listening to my powers. And my powers personified in the person called Jesus Christ. Within days, my panic attacks would only come once in two or three weeks. I'm talking about a grown man at 60, 59. What was happening? He was cutting. Because he was about to graft. When the cut was over, it still felt sore. But that's when I heard the most poignant truths about the particulars of my destiny. And I said, I want to hear more. If I'm going to live, I might as well live fully. I want it all. I've suffered too much to take half bread. I want it all. And I found that as I delighted myself in him, he kept filling my heart with desire. And then as soon as my heart was full of desire, I started getting notices and calls and opportunities and breakthroughs that I had never seen before in my life. And he's brought the kings of the earth to my doorstep. And I want to tell you something. I'm not the best guy on the block in talent or in behavior. But I want to behave better. I want God. He already sees me as he sees Christ. And that's not by my doing. That's by the finished work of the cross. But I want humanity to know that that's a Christ-like man. Not just in behavior, but in the manifestation of transformational power. And the more I started to walk with him, his cares, his thoughts about that guy, he started to talk to me about them. He started casting his cares upon his God he knew that I cared about him and everything he talked to me about he realized that I started taking them away one by one and I trained him to let me get in between him and his pain you notice he just made a u-turn so he can't see him anymore because it is impossible to eclipse the glorious light of God himself and we kept walking and I started taking him places and they were scary places but look at what happened they were scary, but his fear was gone. It was gone. You know why? He has a sound mind. God has not given you the spirit of anxiety or fear, but the spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Friends, put your hands together and please receive the angel of this house, your own pastor, the voice you love to hear the most, the one who was sent to you, to nurture you, Pastor, we only come in to prophesy, but he comes to teach, to pastor, to prophesy, to lead, to govern, and to guide you personally into what God has shown you. Please put your hands together and receive your great pastor, Pastor Biofadiba. Thank you so much for being a part of our message today. If you enjoyed the message, I want to encourage you to like it or share it on social media. You can also jump on our website, www.dch.church, and click the given link to help us spread the word and the good news all over the world. Stay connected and God bless you. Have a great week.